Grump will drop everything he has in order to blast Ron DeSantis's political career into the Stone Age and make him no longer viable for any political office in the future. Welcome to the Powers That Be Daily, Puck's podcast focused on the intersection of Wall Street, Washington, Silicon Valley, and Hollywood, and the players who run it all. I'm Peter Hamby. It's Friday, March 31st. Today, Tina Wynn is here to talk about Ronald Dion DeSantis. Right now, it seems he's the only man who can beat Donald Trump in a Republican presidential primary. But as Tina reports, the last few weeks have been a little stormy for DeSantis as the promise of his candidacy runs up against the complications and pesky realities of running for president. So is DeSantis 2024 still a sure thing? Tina and I dig in. And later, Alex Bigler is here with all the latest on Puck, the office gossip, a little strategy, and why Puck is getting into the world of fashion with the hiring of veteran industry journalist Lauren Sherman. We'll discuss all that and more on today's episode of The Powers That Be. Are you tired of sleeping hotter than hell? I sure am. I sleep hot. There's something crucial about sleep that eludes us when we're too warm, too uncomfortable, and too caught in the web of our own thoughts to drift off. And while curiosity fuels our days, science tells us that cool sleep recharges our nights. That's where Chili Pad by Sleep Me comes in. Meet the bed cooling system that elevates the quality of human life through cool sleep. The Chili Pad Bed Cooling System is your new bedtime solution. I love it. It lets you customize your sleeping environment to your optimal temperature, ensuring you fall asleep, stay asleep, and wake up refreshed. Chili Pad works with your existing mattress. It's a water-based mattress topper that continuously controls your bed temperature from 55 to 115 degrees, allowing your body to rest and recover. This isn't just about escaping the heat, it's also about optimizing your sleep for better health, more energy, and improved physical and cognitive performance, which I obviously need hosting a podcast. Chili pads are designed for one or two sleepers, so if your sleep partner likes to sleep at a different temperature, or you only need it for one side of the bed, that's okay too, and we know that's crucial. Plus, you can schedule automated temperature changes to trigger deep sleep. But when I'm at home, Chili Pad solves those problems. So trust me on this one. Visit sleep.me slash powers to get your chili pad and save up to $315 with code powers. This offer is available exclusively for powers that be listeners and only for a limited time. Order it today with free shipping and try it out for 30 days. You can return it for free if you don't like it with their sleep trial. Visit www.sleep.com. Dot M-E slash powers, because you're not just investing in better sleep, you're creating a better life. Happy Friday, everybody. It's the last day in March. Get ready for spring. Uh, you know, in our world, that means we get to be out in the sunshine. Um, in the world of presidential politics, it means you have to fly to Iowa, New Hampshire. And one of those people who's going to have to start doing that if he wants to run for president is Ron DeSantis. But Tina Wynn is here today. Uh, Tina, you have a piece up this week on Puck where you kind of go deep on something that's in the Republican zeitgeist at the moment, and, and the press is certainly talking about this, which is the notion, and I'm still not convinced, so you can convince me, that DeSantis isn't ready, he's uh, losing ground to Trump, his people are having second thoughts about whether he's gonna run. Um, can you explain what those concerns 
are based on. So last week, he had a really, really, really bad week. I, it starts off with him saying something about Donald Trump. He does his interview with Piers Morgan. Piers asks him any question about Donald Trump. DeSantis starts talking about how he has a specific strategy and vision for the presidency, unlike what's happened in the past with drama and Mm -hmm. whatever. And everyone interprets this as a dig at Trump. He goes in public and says, in response to a question about uh, whether Trump will be extradited from Florida, instead of taking the MAGA position of, I will do everything to prevent this miscarriage Mm -hmm. of justice from taking place in the free state of Florida, he goes, hey, you know what? I have nothing to do with it. I don't know what it's like to take money and give it to porn stars to not say things about me. And that's enough of an opening for Trump world to just go hard against him. But Uh the concern among my circles, especially ones that are more MAGA aligned, were like, Look, DeSantis has positioned himself as a MAGA warrior. Now, all of a sudden, on this one key issue, he's going back and saying, "Okay, this is my personal beef against the president. I don't want to go hard against him on this one thing. It does ring hypocritical if you were a MAGA purist, and that's something that endangers him. And then these stories start coming out from Iowa, from his book tour, where he's pissed off local GOP officials. He's advanced planning firm that's supposed to be helping him stage events, cuts him as a client because they Mm. find working with his team is just like nitpicky and kind of anal and counterproductive. He does a bad job talking to voters in Iowa. He starts freaking out over the absence of a podium My favorite one so far is that he gives a 30-minute speech during an event where he's supposed to be having a uh, discussion with Iowa Governor Kim Reynolds, and Kim is just sitting in the background for Mm -hmm. 30 minutes just listening to DeSantis talk about how awesome Florida (laughs) is and not really much about Iowa. And this starts rattling people in donor world. This starts rattling advisors. And they start going like, oh, God, oh, God, is he actually ready to do this? Can he actually stand up against a full scale attack on Donald Trump? And here's the thing. From my understanding, the DeSantis approach to Trump is going to be a Michelle Obama-esque when they go low, we go high approach. Mm -hmm. We're not Mm going to talk about Donald Trump unless someone asks us about it. We're not going to go ham and make our entire case Donald Trump is the worst. I have bad things to say about Donald Trump. Hello, vote for me, Ron DeSantis. So much it is. Here's my vision. Oh, oh yeah, Trump sucks. I guess whatever. Let me talk about my vision. The problem is Trump does not do that. And Trump will drop everything he has in order to blast Ron DeSantis's political career into the Stone Age and make him no longer viable for any political office in the future. (laughs) So that's the state of play. But there's moments like that and the stuff that you're talking about, they do give donors maybe some pause that he might not be ready for primetime. The Ukraine wobble, where he basically called it a territorial dispute, the war between Russia and Ukraine on Tucker Carlson, and then walked it back, I assume, once the more like old line Republican foreign policy types were like, dude, like you have to stand up for Ukraine. These are just things that reveal a candidate's or potential candidate's instincts and their mettle. I don't think any of this is like disqualifying at the moment. And by the way, you'd rather make these mistakes now than later. 
-hmm. But it sounds like from what you're talking about that people around him are, is it people around him actually who are like raising concerns or are these more like outside voices who are waiting on the sidelines to make a decision about who to support? Uh, These are people around him. These are guys who really support DeSantis, who have a, these are people who just support DeSantis, but have a really good sense of exactly where the MAGA base is going. And have a sense of exactly how hard Trump will hit back against Mm. DeSantis. And the thing Mm -hmm. with Trump is that you don't necessarily have to rely on anything that's true. It's helpful if it's true. But if Trump can mimetically embed a specific vision of Ron DeSantis in the heads of voters, if he can create this image in the mind of a lot of voters who don't trust mainstream reporting and won't necessarily go watch everything Mm -hmm. that DeSantis says... It creates this image in their minds and they may tilt away from DeSantis. And the question is, how does DeSantis go forward? Does he try to make himself appeal on a national level or does he stay in his lane and methodically work through primary voters who tend to, uh, and in the case of like Iowa and New Hampshire, tend to be less, I don't know, screamingly MAGA? Yeah, I mean... Nate Cohen had a recent piece in the New York Times that I thought was interesting, where he basically was like, even though Ron DeSantis hasn't announced a campaign, we're already in March. You know, the first primaries are next February. They're less than a year away. And at this point in a campaign, unless you're in double digits in polls, you're not really in the hunt. Like the only person really in the last multiple decades in the Republican or Democratic Party to come from single digits and win was Donald Trump, like the ultimate aberration in presidential politics. And DeSantis is still really, really well positioned. And there's this narrative out there, too, that like his poll numbers are sinking. Like they've dipped like a couple points. But like overall, Mm. he is still basically where he was several months ago in the high 20s against Trump in the head to head. And then also like Dan Pfeiffer actually made this point last week on Pods of America, which I thought was astute, which is even if the head to head numbers are going down for DeSantis against Trump, DeSantis's favorable ratings are unchanged. People mm. still in the Republican Party, but voters, have a lot of goodwill toward DeSantis. They're open to the choice of voting for DeSantis. The attacks that Trump is throwing at him actually aren't driving up his negatives. I think Trump is just actually going up in the polls because he's reminding Republican voters kind of like why they like him. He's in the news cycle. He's attacking the left. He's attacking his rivals. It's fun. And DeSantis, though, hasn't really lost a ton of ground. His favorables are still fine and his numbers are still fine and kind of where you want to be in Iowa and New Hampshire where voters are paying close enough attention. And so I think your piece is interesting because this is this is like the time we used to call it the invisible primary where like DeSantis has to learn to trust his instincts, have a clear point of view, uh, work through mistakes and deal with all the noise. And on that topic, a question I have for you is, is there any sense that he's going to do any kind of sit down with like, I'm not standing up for like national reporters because <laughs> like I, I don't necessarily <laughs> think a national, a non-Fox TV interview is like useful for him at this point. But like, is he going to like sit down and like take some enemy fire from like MAGA media, do some podcasts? Like, I don't know. Like, I feel like he needs to get out of his comfort zone of just like hanging out in Florida and talking to friendly media just to get these reps in more than anything else. 
Yeah, there was an interesting interview he did with uh, Eric Bolling over at Fox Business uh, last mm-hmm. week where he, you know, did his DeSantis spiel. I'm DeSantis. I'm awesome. Vote, maybe vote for me if I'm running. Shrug. <laughs> and then right after that, Sebastian Gorka comes in and starts reaming him in the next segment about his disloyalty to Trump and his positioning on Ukraine. And that's something he's going to have to counter if he goes on any sort of conservative media unless Mm -hmm. i don't know the fox booking team is like we're going to not book any trump allies ever again like he's gonna have Mm -hmm. to face that back and forth and it's going to be impossible Mm -hmm. for him to ignore it especially given that trump himself built his candidacy on the fact that he just blanketed every single piece of media every single outlet from cnn to Infowars in his first mm-hmm. run. I remember watching him talk to Alex Jones for the first time and I was like, oh God, that's horrifying, but also kind of brilliant. So mm-hmm. yeah, DeSantis is definitely going to have to get outside of his comfort zone. Can he do that? I don't know. Will his advisors want to let him do that? Ooh, who knows at this point? Right. Well, speaking of advisors, and this is the last thing I want to ask you, also speaking of his comfort zone, <laughs> You have better insight into this stuff than I think a lot of reporters. Um, his wife, Casey, I think pe- listeners of this podcast need to understand how important she is to DeSantis as an advisor. His political mind, in a lot of ways, certainly political spouse, male or female, obviously they're close to the candidate. But she seems like she wields a lot of power. Is that right? Mm. Oh, absolutely. She does interviews with people who are coming onto the DeSantis campaign. They will sometimes they'll do joint interviews of like high profile people that they want to bring on. Sometimes she'll be the last interview that this person has before they get brought on to any DeSantis operation. Uh, She's prominent on messaging. She's prominent on strategy. Who knows exactly how close she is to the current like setup of the packs. But there are only two people who know exactly what Ron DeSantis is going to do at any time. It's Ron DeSantis and it's Casey. And then there's like a ring of people around that who kind of know. And then outside, it's just like more and more and more insulated. It's further from the decision making process. And it's why it's really hard to try to get insight into what the DeSantis operation is doing at any given moment. It's interesting watching how she's positioned herself during this entire ordeal. Like she presents herself as a loyal wife, cancer survivor, has this weird habit of wearing evening dresses to uh, events that don't necessarily require evening dresses. But in a way, how they want to present themselves is as the MAGA version of Camelot, the Mm -hmm. JFK, Jackie Kennedy, glory days of American supremacy in the world. That's sort of her doing. And a lot of the messaging that comes out of DeSantis kind of runs through Casey. There's an interview that she did that I found really telling in which she, right after she became first lady, she did an interview with some local outlet where she said, I'm taking a lot of cues from Oprah and I want to highlight the stories of people who live in Florida in order to Mm. tell the story of how we want their state to be. And Mm -hmm. over the past couple of years, you've seen that play out as Ron DeSantis, Mr. Hero of Florida, Mr. Ron DeSantis opening the businesses and the beaches, Ron DeSantis taking a stand against woke Mm -hmm. Disney, yada, yada, yada. Mm -hmm. So you cannot understand Ron DeSantis policy guy without understanding how Casey is able to channel that brain through 
the conduits of the American culture war. She's really good at it. She is. And I think it's also worth pointing out that she was a local news reporter and she was on TV for a while. And I'm not comparing her to Carrie Lake, but I think one of Carrie Lake's strengths as a candidate, she had many weaknesses because she lost an incredibly winnable race. (laughs) Um, But her understanding of not just presenting on television and how to deliver charisma through the camera, it was just understanding how journalists operate and think like on a day-to-day level and not necessarily like the like snooty reporter from the New Yorker who comes down there to do a profile, but just the day-to-day combat, what reporters need, what they respond to, what gets on the local news. And so for all of DeSantis is like, he doesn't come off as like Mr. Personality. I think that's like a big knock on him. He doesn't seem like warm. Um, You can imagine that their conversations are probably like a lot of Casey sort of understanding and perhaps explaining to him like, here's how to navigate the media world. And I think that's also like underestimated. And I think she's absolutely an asset to him. I I didn't know, though, that people had to sit for an interview with her while (laughs) applying for jobs in the governor's office of the campaign. That's uh, that is unusual, I must say. All right, everyone, please go read uh, Tina's latest on Ron DeSantis. Her reporting on Ron DeSantis is authoritative. So please go check it out and subscribe to the best and the brightest, our newsletter focused on Washington politics, everything you need to know there. Tina, thank you so much. Have a great weekend. You too. When we come back, Alex Bigler's here to talk about fashion. Hey, Powers That Be listeners, I'm here to tell you that there's no reason to panic the next time you're searching for the perfect gift. Now you can use Gift Mode on Etsy. Gift Mode on Etsy takes the stress out of gifting, so you can find the perfect item for anyone and any occasion. It's easy. Just tap or click Gift Mode on your Etsy app or Etsy.com. Then answer a few short questions about who you're shopping for and what they like. And Gift Mode instantly gives you a curated list of gift ideas based on hundreds of personas. I use Etsy all the time and have for years. I bought my brother some artwork. I bought my wife some jewelry. I even bought a rug for our living room on Etsy. I love it. But there's a lot of pressure around gifting. I usually have a hard time thinking of gift ideas for friends and family members around the holidays or birthdays in my life. And sometimes I get super stressed trying to find the perfect thing. But now with gift mode on Etsy, I can search hundreds of gifting personas and find so many incredible items. And I actually just found the perfect gift for a buddy who's just as into Cincinnati sports as I am, a hot cup of Joe, Joe Burrow mug. That's right, I found that on Etsy, it's amazing. Now it's simple to find gifts made by independent sellers for all the people in your life. So whether you need a housewarming gift for the new homeowner or a birthday present for the pickleballer, Gift Mode has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic, try Gift Mode on Etsy now. Welcome back, everybody. I'm joined now by Alex Bigler for a segment that we don't really have a name for, never have come up with a, a name for this segment. So we're just calling it the Alex Bigler segment, where we talk about all the insider gossip going down at Puck, feedback, et cetera, mm-hmm. et cetera, news about the company, what Fritz is hearing, all the stuff you guys really care about. It's great to see you, Alex. Are you on the rocks with John Kelly? I mean, we haven't done this segment for a while, so he, I don't know. Is he upset about your 
podcast about abilities? My, my popularity. I know. First of all, I have to see if I can remember how a microphone works. It's been a while, but mm-hmm. um, you know, Peter, I think what happened is I I started getting recognized in the streets as some sort of you know minor <laughs> podcasting celebrity, mm-hmm. and John was feeling really us. overshadowed by me. Uh, I think is what was happening. So yeah, ha- haven't been here for a while. But, um, you know, I guess the feedback for Feedback Friday was that the people wanted Alex Bigler back. So here I am. And Alex is for the people. Hey, I want to ask you about something, partly because of my duties at Snapchat. Sometimes I'm not in the team meetings and I, I haven't heard a direct line about this. But we at Puck announced the hiring of Lauren Sherman, mm-hmm. who was at the Business of Fashion, to basically start a fashion vertical mm-hmm. for puck it's called the line sheet and Correct. everyone should sign up there is probably a slice of people out there who might feel the same way about us one day covering sports or music or something and they look at fashion and they're like oh this isn't serious business like mm-hmm. washington which is obviously so serious washington mm-hmm. is not frivolous at all explain to people listening what the goals of the line sheet are, and also just a little bit about Lauren, because I want everyone to sign up for this newsletter too. Sure. Well, based on your band t-shirt and hoodie and my, you know, oversized sweatshirt that I'm wearing, we are <laughs> definitely the two people who should be talking about the new fashion vertical at Puck. But so I'm super <laughs> excited of Lauren Sherman. I've been a really big fan of hers for a, a really long time. And the number of people and the variety of people who reached out to us through all of our, you know, official puck platforms, but also were just texting me when the announcement was made about what an incredible journalist she is. You know, when when we think about fashion at Puck, we think about it the same way we think about Hollywood at Puck, which is not mm-hmm. what did Nicole Kidman wear to the opening of her new movie or things like that. This is a really huge business, and I'm not sure people really understand how big the business of fashion actually is Mm -hmm. and the complex characters and fascinating creatures who are involved in the fashion industry. And Lauren really takes that perspective. You know, what does it mean when, when the richest person in the world is actually the owner of a luxury firm? It has a lot of implications for a lot of different areas. Wall Street and entertainment and all sorts of things. And that's really the perspective that Lauren is going to take. So I'm super excited. Have you read any of her why she joined Puck? Yeah, I was just going to talk about that because I really enjoyed it. Not only because she talked about being a late millennial like myself and lining up at a Tower Records on Newberry Street in Boston to buy a Dave Matthews album. You know, I say that under my breath. I, by the way, had every Dave Matthews CD. I'm from Virginia. I stand with Dave Matthews, but I understand how rock snobs do not like Dave Matthews. But she made a point in why she joined Puck in this note that she sent out her her first item for Puck, that for most publications, fashion journalism, in quotes, is an oxymoron. And she had a lot of reasons for that. But one thing I appreciated is a sentiment I think she was getting at, which is like, I think this is true in a lot of journalism beats. Like a lot of people just take handouts and rewrite press releases and Mm -hmm. don't really peel back the layers to explain all the sort of the flywheel of, of cultural business identity, all the things that are like wrapped up in, mm-hmm. in the things we cover. And I'm excited for her to just cover fashion in a way that 
quote unquote fluffy industries deserve to be covered because like fashion is culture now. Then the the point she was making about lining up to buy a CD, I hope it was a CD (laughs) uh, outside of Tower Records is that like today kids line up to buy like sneaker drops and there's like direct to consumer brands that we're all engaging with on Instagram and Snap and TikTok and all these like social media platforms and Everyone cares about how they look, but these clothes are made in certain places by certain people. Uh, They Mm -hmm. are made in (laughs) workplaces that might not be super healthy. They are making millions of dollars for people. And it's just something I'm I'm glad we're covering. Um, So I encourage everyone to sign up for, I said it wrong, actually. It's called Line Sheet, Mm -hmm. not The Line Sheet. Sort of like I learned this the other day, Alex. It's Mm -hmm. not The Eagles, the band. It's Eagles. It's just Eagles. It's just Eagles I band. Know. Yeah, that's yeah. shocking to me. I think they made a mistake there. But um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, can you explain what line sheet means, real quick? Yeah, line sheet is what a what a house prints out that shares all of the items that is going to be in their line for a given season that goes out to the buyers, and then mm. the buyers are the ones picking and choosing from the line sheet what they're what they're actually going to run in retail. Mm. Yeah, Lauren is not. She's not going to be a florals for spring, groundbreaking type of fashion reporter. We cover the buying and selling of major media assets like Warner Brothers, Discovery, Merging, and and things of that nature. She's going to be doing the exact same thing for the fashion industry and these storied, dramatic houses that are exchange hands every day. Not every day, but you know what I mean. So anyway, you can tell that I'm very excited. You don't get to say that Disney or Ron DeSantis uh, or Silicon Valley Bank are serious and then in the next breath say that some of these big fashion houses or fast fashion empires are not. We are covering the world of business, media, tech, and you know this intersects with all of them and probably a little bit of politics too, I must say. Given the fact that <laughs> I literally just did a story for my Snapchat show about the House Ethics Committee investigating AOC for wearing her tax the rich dress mm. to the Met Gala last year, and mm-hmm. she might have improperly taken gifts because of it. Mm. Um, anyway, mm-hmm. so like I said, these things all play out in tandem. Sure do. By the way, you uh, made you made me seem very cool when we were in D.C. earlier this month because I got to introduce you to someone who used to work at my team back when I worked at Condé and got to introduce you as Peter Hamby from Snapchat and Puck and That really gave me cool kid points. So I appreciate it. Thank you. Speaking of DC, because you and I were both just there, I wanted to chat with you a little bit about The Best and the Brightest, which Mm. was our kind of new collaborative DC newsletter approach where we kind of bundled Julia Yaffe and Tara Palmieri and Tina Nguyen and you and your writing Mm. into one kind of coherent newsletter that that would go Mm. out to Mm. our our DC crowd and wanted to get your perspective on what you've been thinking about it, how you've been absorbing it, any feedback you've heard in the market about it. (laughs) Katie had a note the other night. I've been doing some Q and A's with Tara back and Mm -hmm. forth for the newsletter lately, just about politics. And I wrote something about the TikTok hearing Mm -hmm. and Katie was like, I like this format. I like that. It's like, it feels like I'm having a conversation even in text. Mm-hmm. Like if if you're writing something, if you're writing an article, sometimes that Q and A format it might sound like it comes off a little forced. It's not what we're like yeah. accustomed to doing. But 
I appreciate that Puck is experimenting with different kinds of formats and she really liked it. One thing I do enjoy about it is there's not one way to cover Washington. Julia's expertise is obviously diplomacy and foreign policy and that world in the military. Tara's got sources all over DC in the White House, Capitol Hill, et cetera, K Street. I think Tina and myself are just like campaign rats. <laughs> like we <laughs> love covering campaign politics. And mm-hmm. I think all of us have good sources, both in the Democratic world and the Republican universe. You know, I say also I'm I'm not doing the day-to-day campaign beat in the way that I used to. So like I kind of enjoy the role of <laughs> political reporter emeritus mm-hmm. who can like weigh in a little bit with some historical perspective. But I think each of us is good at also acknowledging like what we what we don't know. Like I think this is evident when I talk to Julia. Like I, it's not my yeah. expertise, uh, the subject matter that she covers. Um, and I'm glad we get to talk to each other and pull out different angles and also yeah. throw to the other person when it's clear that like, hey, you know what? I might not be the best person to write a column about <laughs> the G7. Yeah. Let's let Julia handle that. And I think John and Ben, our executive editor, have done a really good job with the best and the brightest of pulling, using the introductory sentences of Mm -hmm. the newsletter to like refer back to other, either past work from the other journalists. When Julia writes, she says, Tara wrote about this last night, or Tina's going to write about this tomorrow in a way that creates a really cohesive story that at least I, as a reader, really appreciate. Yeah. And it seems like our readers do as well. I agree. Ben and John have always been great. Going back to when I met them at Vanity Fair of, of throwing prompts my way that mm-hmm. inspire me to write. It's hard to come up with story ideas sometimes. You know, maybe some journalists are great at it, but even the best journalists, we always talk and text each other and say like, what are you working on? What should I, yeah. what should I do? And they're good at helping uh, pull some important threads. Well, they did not throw me a prompt for this Feedback Friday session, which is why I will now go rogue and wrap up our conversation by saying, by the time this airs, the first day, opening day of the baseball season will have happened. The Reds will play the Pirates. The Cardinals will have played the Blue Jays. Then you and I have another season of good-hearted animosity to look forward to, um, which I'm really excited about. And... I don't think that they're doing this because of the baseball season, but Puck is running a rare sale that is a 21% discount on our annual subscriptions if you use the code SPRING21. And we'll put a link for it in the podcast today. I love to hear that. Alex, thank you so much. Everyone have a good weekend. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of The Powers That Be. As a reminder, The Powers That Be is the official podcast of Puck. We'd like to thank Ben Landy, Liz Goff, and Alex Bigler for their editorial and production guidance. If you like what you hear, please share with a friend. It really helps us keep delivering the inside scoop that only Puck can offer. Follow us on Twitter at Puck News. I'm Peter Hamby. See you next week. This has been a presentation of Cadence 13 Studios. Please listen, rate, review, and follow all episodes wherever you get your podcasts. The Powers That Be Daily is executive produced by John Kelly, co-founder of Puck, Chris Corcoran, chief content officer and founding partner of Cadence 13, and produced by Ben Landy, executive editor at Puck. Puck.